Hello, welcome back to 35 Minutes with Gabe Malika. I took a couple weeks off, didn't announce them, but things got a little crazy. I uh, I did some comedy in Poughkeepsie with the headliner, Sean Donnelly. I banked a few episodes of this pod. I've really just been running around, joined a gym, um, gearing up my life for hopefully going back to work uh, at my day job at the, uh, at the school that I work at where I run the writing center in September. Uh, but things have been good. Things have been busy, but I have not forgotten about you, my loyal podcast listeners. I appreciate you all for, uh, subscribing and telling people about it and five, giving five stars and all that stuff. Uh, I'm currently flirting with maybe starting a second podcast and I have lots of ideas for that, but this, this podcast will always sort of be my, uh, my first passion project. And I think I'd like to interview everyone I graduated high school with at some point. So anybody from the class of 2010. So if you want to be on the podcast and you're from the class of 2010, just, uh, just hit me up. I think it would be, that'd be a fun project to interview every single person that I went to high school with. Um, that could be fun. Uh, anyway, this week's episode is with Nick Pittman. He's a musician, a podcaster, an audio engineer, a creative, fun person, a video gamer, a seltzer drinker. He's a lot of things. Uh, I've known Nick a really, really long time. Uh, we talk about his first guitar. I remember when he got it. I've been friends with Nick that long. I remember when he got that first guitar. And I remember our first iPods and sharing our first iPods with each other. And Nick showing me music and me being impressed and in awe of what he was up to. Um, he's a really cool person and he lives a really fun, interesting life. And so I was really excited to do this episode and I think you will enjoy it too. So why don't we get into it, everybody? This is Nick Pittman. Hello, sir. How's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? All right. Doing all right. Got my uh, my Topo Chico and I'm ready to podcast. There we go. I love it. I'm just going to put us in. Uh, I was I was in the wrong viewing mode because <laughs> I was doing Zoom stand up. So it was going to give me a headache. I think if we just kept switching between you and I, <laughs> I prefer the side by side. Um. Is that how you pronounce it? Topo Chico? Is that what it's called? I think so. I have no idea, really. They just started carrying this at the uh, bodega around the corner, and I was trying to find the most appropriate podcast seltzer for today. There there you go. I'm, I'm rocking a uh, pineapple strawberry LaCroix. Ooh, how is that? Yeah, it's good. It's like the long, narrow can, and they call it a... C U R A T E curate. I don't know. I didn't, we took German. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I don't know what it's called, but they're, they're tasty. Yeah. Like artisanal LaCroix. Um, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for doing the, uh, the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm doing pretty good. I just played my first show since the pandemic yesterday and I'm still kind of reeling from all that. Whoa, where did you play? Uh, so I was playing at this spot in Bushwick called Wonderville, which is actually okay. one of my, could not ask for a better play, place to play a first show back. It is a, an indie arcade 
uh, in Bushwick. Uh, they host, you know, their community center. They host shows. They uh, have this rotating library of full cabinet arcade games that are all, you know, developed by like programmers and indie developers. They're, it's like weird experimental stuff. It is the most delightful experience. It's like going to like, you know, it's it's like actually going to an adult Chuck E. Cheese, I'd almost say. Oh, interesting. So it's like hipster barcade. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. If barcade is for normies, <laughs> this uh, this is like a new artisanal level a little to bit. use that word. Yeah, um, that's fun. What kind like so like arcade cabinets that people then program their own games into you can play there. Yeah. So and like they'll like, you know, go into great. They'll like really kind of. A lot of the stuff there comes from uh, what they call like game jams, which are just like, you know, weekend long, like programming challenges of like, you know, you team up and try and throw together a game in, you know, 72 hours. Um, Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we saw there was this fighting game that had literally a hundred buttons. Each button had a specific (laughs) function, but they weren't going to tell you what, like what did what. And you just kind of like, it just turns into like button mashing chaos, but it's so creative to see you know what you can do with something like that um yeah that's really neat so rudkin my buddy um has an arcade cabinet that he just like put an old empty computer into i guess Mm -hmm. and a raspberry pi and it has like 400 games in it now um so essentially like, oh, you want to play The Simpsons? You want to play Golden Tee Golf? You want to play? So that's more of a copyright infringement than these guys. But 100 buttons, Nick, that's inc- that's like playing with the hardware, too. Yeah, I mean, it's it it is like it's literally it's two players. Each of them gets 50 buttons and <laughs> it's it, like, you know, you're pressing them and you're like, I don't know if this is doing anything, but my guy has a guitar now. So I guess that means something. Um, oh, wow. OK, yeah. That's that's really neat because I know it's funny. Um, I know you're into video games a little bit because I wrote that down as like a potential thing to talk about. So it's funny that you um, you brought that up already. And so, can you tell me about this performance? In what iteration of your music did you perform? Absolutely. Yesterday? Yeah. So this is with a band that I've been playing with for about four years now called Hard Pass. Um, I okay. am not as involved in the songwriting with Hard Pass um, as I am with some of my other projects. This is I joined this project because uh, they were looking for a lead guitarist, and I thought, you know, I've never played lead before, and I'd like to get better at it. Um, mm. But it's been, um, these are uh, a lot of the other members of Hard Pass are people that I worked with at Shea Stadium, which was a really beloved warehouse venue up here in Bushwick a couple years ago. So it's very kind of like a do it yourself punk uh, ethic behind everything that we do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like a little. A little rougher around the edges, a little fuzzier, but it's very fun and, um, you know, could not ask for a better place to come and play the first show since like November 2019. It was. Wow. Yeah, wild. That is. Uh, so this is like a four piece band. Four piece. Five yeah. Piece? Uh, yeah. Four piece. Two guitars, bass, drums, you know, nothing too, uh, very cool. nothing too fancy. Yeah. Uh huh. And the other the other guitar players singing yes um yeah my friend jane uh is playing rhythm guitar and singing and then um you know bassist drummer myself yeah sure sure and then how does this differ i guess because i know you have other musical projects i'm curious how they 
compare? Um, I mean, I do try to find something like a little bit. I, I, I'm never, I'm never trying to do the same thing in two bands necessarily. Um, mm, I'm always trying to make it, you know, make it a little bit different for myself. Give myself something, a new angle that I can sort of focus on. Um, so, Hard Pass, you know, is a much more kind of like old school, uh, you know, old school punk kind of a sound. I'm playing leads and. Uh, like I said, you know, or yeah, like I said, I'm playing leads and um, with my band before Hard Pass that I was really kind of, you know, the the band that started it all, I guess, for me was this band called Foreverist uh, that I was doing some that I founded and was writing songs and playing guitar in um, starting in about 2011. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Foreverist leaned more on the emo side and that was partially because I was doing a lot of stuff with open tunings at the time. And that's like, you know, you, you tune the guitar to just like one nice pretty D chord and then you can just sort of like slide up and down to get like the different chord shapes. Um, it's really modular and it sounds great. It also is the sound of 2010s emo for whatever reason. Um, yes, yes. I seem to remember learning a couple songs in open tuning when I was fiddling around with the guitar Yeah, around that time, around that era. Yeah. Um, so hard pass, like really the first thing that makes it really different for me is that I'm playing entirely in standard and, you know, I can't, Mm. there's no, uh, there's no hiding behind the open tuning. There's no kind of like cheating the chord. Like, you know, I've got to do it, you know, I've got to do it with my fingers or I can't do it at all. Um, Mm. uh, so it's a, yeah, it's an interesting new dimension on it and then you know i've got some other projects uh i a project that i'm playing some bass in a project where i'm acting is more of sort of like a producer uh where i'm not really relegated behind a single instrument but you know it's always just i don't really like sitting still when it comes to like music i like to you know switch things up you know take on different roles so always just trying to sort of like follow that wherever i can yeah, I like that. I like the idea of scratching different types of um, of creative itches. And I feel like music is one of those things where it's all cumulative, where it's like whether you're producing a track or I mean, you have a music tech background, obviously, mm-hmm. um, or playing lead guitar or harmonizing with somebody like all that stuff just continually sort of adds up in a fun way. Yeah. And uh, um, that's really kind of, you know, being in here and doing like music stuff in New York for so long, you know, I feel like that's my career at the end of the day of, you know, just like mm. what, uh, you know, how can I sort of like, you know, find the right experience, the right gig based on, you know, what I've, what I can bring to the table and synthesize that into the next thing and into the next thing and into the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to being so, so deep into one thing where it's like, I only play, rhythm guitar and sing harmony yeah. you know where having all these different skills is sort of um you can build make a career out of it obviously yeah um i love hearing that um okay so i do okay i with you i wanted to do a quick catch-up and now let's go back and now let's work our way forward again let's so can you tell me about this this music love of yours can you tell me about uh the early inklings of it and then like your first guitar. I want to know all that stuff. Oh yeah, sure. Um, so 
I started with music. Um, I, I was listening back to some of the earlier episodes of the podcast today just to uh, get myself caught up. And, you know, it's, it's oh, funny, fun. you know, talking to Melissa, talking to Kim and how we all, you know, there's all these similar backgrounds. Um, I you, you call her Melissa, too. I appreciate that. Oh, no, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's OK. It's OK. <laughs> um, but, you know, I really you know i i did the church choir thing kind of like him um but really it mm-hmm. started for me with piano i started taking piano lessons when i was about 8 years old um didn't really love it for a while but now i've now coming back on that experience i'm like that was a great time to start but um you know that got me like reading music you know running scales, you know, understanding chord relationships, um, at like a, you know, decently young age, um, did, you know, played a little bit of trumpet in elementary and middle school. And by the time I got to middle school, I was not practicing the trumpet and gave up a band for electronic music class, which really that, that changed my entire life. Um, I, Mm. you know, um, uh, this was 2003, 2004, right after School of Rock had come out. Um, and beautiful thing. Mr. Russo really, uh, you know, was redesigning his entire like curriculum and approach to teaching to, you know, capture that magic. And I just sort of showed up there at the right time as, you know, a kid who knew how to play piano, knew how to read music. Um, you know, had, was like, I think I was just eager and ready to, ready to learn at that situation, at that point. And that, that turned into the guitar within a couple of years. Um, Mm. my very first guitar was this Fender Strat that I still have here today. I just actually restrung it yesterday. No way. You're same one. Yeah. I, I mostly use it just like around the house for practicing these days, but it's still, it still plays great. I still love that instrument. Um, and from there, you know, I was doing Bach to Rock or Beyond Rock uh, for years, um, you know, and really that was the, when it comes to sort of how I fell in love with music, you know, it was that experience of, you know, playing in bands with people, you know, having this like two week period every year where, you know, from nine to five every day, I was just playing guitar, rehearsing in bands, you know, sometimes recording, taking lessons. Um, and I loved it. I, I, I was entirely obsessed with every part of it. And, um, you know, the entire nature of like the final performance at the end of that, uh, you know, we would, after the two weeks, there would be like a little show at, um, this, pub out in Levittown, I think. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was the first time that I was really getting up on a stage. And mm. I learned that I, you know, you know me, I am a very, very quiet person in most other areas of my life, but I get up there and it felt like something changed. I could feel the room. I could feel like the audience. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I like this. This is cool. Um, yeah, it's different than piano lessons, isn't it? Very different from piano lessons, very different from, you know, even, you know, you know, getting up on doing like a choir concert or, you know, school plays. It's a real, it was a really unique, uh, 
experience that I wasn't really getting anywhere else. And from that point on, I was, I, I knew I wanted to do something with music and it was just a matter of trying to figure out what. Sure. Sure. And we had the advantage of being close to New York. Um, and I feel like you more than some, certainly more than me, were like a city kid earlier in your life. Um, than I was certainly. So when I think about New York city in high school, I was like, Oh, like I, I was just like, not ready for that. I was like, I need to go far away. And then after I got out of high school or college, rather, I like went to Scotland. And then I was like, I was, I remember being in Scotland, like studying a map of New York and being like, I need to get to New York city right now. Like I can't live anywhere else. This place is small. New York has everything. All like the comedians and the plays and all the stuff I want to do is in New York city. Um, and I need to get there. But for you, I guess, I guess now that I'm, I brought it up, I'm curious about your, uh, your teenage relationship to New York city and, and the opportunities that that might've brought. Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I always loved like New York city from a, like from a very young age, you know, my parents both worked full-time in Manhattan and I would, mm-hmm really just like take any excuse that I could to go into the city. You know, if it was just like spending the day at their office or like, you know, just, just anything to be around the buildings, uh, like, I don't know, inspired something in me. And as I got, you know, older, as I was like a weird moody teen who didn't necessarily, uh, you know, love my suburban hometown, you know, Getting to go out to New York City, you know, felt like the ultimate, you know, the ultimate escape. You could be anybody. You could be you could do anything. Um, mm. And I, th- I think I it I pieced it together like real at from a pretty young age of like. My future is going to be here in New York, whatever the next thing is, it's got to be here. Wow. Um, that's that's cool to, to know that even before you discovered like the Bushwick scene or NYU to even just like have that intuition. It was from Manhattan is sort of interesting. Yeah. It was a long time until I was, until I realized actually Brooklyn's the place to be, but uh, sure. Sure. But yeah, no, I just always really loved New York before I even kind of knew the, even before the music stuff totally clicked for me, I think I knew that I just wanted to be in the city. Um, Yeah. That's, um, that's sort of fascinating, Nick, that, that, um, that pull. And then I guess, okay, so we're, we're going to get back to New York city, in a moment, but so you're playing in Bakhtar rock and you love that. And there's a social component to it. Do you remember the first people that you sort of like collaborated with or that made you feel like, like, Oh, I found people who are like into the same bands and chords. And I mean, it, I, I think I definitely, you know, jumped around a lot as a kid, but you know, Obviously, you know, Bakhtarok started as such an exclusively, almost as an exclusively Garden City affair. So you had sure. Kim and Mel and Tara there. Uh, you know, Gary was there, Zach LaRose, Lacoche. Um, and, you know, we everybody had different, like, you know, different influences that they were really obsessed with. But we all, you know found these common ground bands very easily, you know, with Gary and Zach, it was green day with, you know, Mel and Kim, it was, you know, more like soul singer songwriters, you know, Joni Mitchell, things like that. Um, Mm. And, you know, 
and you know, really, you know, I loved all that stuff, but I would go home and I'd be like, okay, it's time to like listen to a lot of Radiohead right now. Um, sure. <laughs> so, what albums were were out then that you were like, this Radiohead album is my life? Oh, uh, in Rainbows changed my life entirely. Uh, yeah, and that was that was like a little bit later, but um, I mean, I, I the the bands that I always am thinking about when. Back in middle school and high school were uh, Green Day, Nine Inch Nails, and Radiohead. Okay, those three. Yeah. And it's funny to, to I associate certain bands with certain people too, mm-hmm. whether it's they were wearing those t-shirts or they were insistent on me listening to them or they put them, put them on a mix for me. <laughs> um, I definitely have band person associations um, that, you know, people change over the course of uh the almost 12 years now since we've been in high school, but I do very strongly still like, even sometimes it'll go the reverse way. Like I'll hear a green day song and I'll think of Gary or I'll think of Zachary, <laughs> even though like their music taste I'm sure has changed dramatically. <laughs> um, it's sort of funny how that happens. Um, okay. So those three bands you're really into. Um, and God, how are you guys exchanging music in the mid 2000s? Is it you guys giving each other mixed CDs? I, it's a lot of burning CDs. I would I remember annoying my parents to like drive me to Staples to get blank CDs. I like Yes, I remember buying blank CDs like also. Once a month at least. Just like, "Hey, I got to burn some CDs for Zach and Gary. Can you uh can you help me out?" Yes. <laughs> of course. Cuz this was like I remember like the first sort of batch of iPod iPods. Oh yeah. I had one of those like early, like stick a gum iPod shuffles that could hold like a hundred songs on it. Oh sure. The classic shuffle. Yeah. I remember Gary on a field trip, maybe in like sixth grade on a German field trip, had a little MP3 player and you could, you could have a little screen on it and you could kind of like click through songs. And I think it was again, like a hundred songs, but I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) I think I remember that exact field trip. Yeah. Um, where we went to Pennsylvania. Yeah, we went to Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, Gary gave yeah. me like a lot of Green Day for the first time that that trip. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, we were on that trip together, and I remember being like totally floored by it. Because mm-hmm. um, before then, it was those Walkman CD things, which if you know anything about CDs, they spin and they wobble, <laughs> and so those things were pretty unreliable. Yeah. No, I mean you've um, got you've got literal moving parts in there that we were just like carrying around in our backpacks. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, that were terrible. So by the time the iPod mini came out and you could have 500 songs, it was like, Oh, I'll never, um, like this is an important Christmas gift. I got to get an iPod because (laughs) I got to be able to, to listen to the, this music. Um, yeah, that was an interesting sort of, we, we, we came of age at a time where all that technology was about to be replaced by the phone. I, we watched it happen. I feel like, you know, we, I mean, yeah. you know, we went from, you know, I remember listening to like AM radio, uh, in middle mm-hmm. school to burning CDs, to having my first iPod to, you know, fast forward to college and streaming takes over everything. Um, I, yeah. I remember downloading Spotify onto my laptop <laughs> and somebody was like, they have every song. And I was like, what do you, I don't understand. Um, yeah, it happened quick. The the sixth grade MP3 player with a hundred songs to freshman year of college Spotify. That's when I found out about yeah. it at least. 
Um, that's quick. That's a pretty quick turnaround. It's like <laughs> uh, it's less than a decade when you think about it. It's uh, yeah. It it was we really like just sort of witnessed uh, like a massive our second massive sea change in the music industry of our lifetimes. Um, sure. You know, there was the whole Napster thing that, you know, we only kind of, uh, you know, I wasn't really on Napster. I didn't catch that wave, but that, yeah, I was in like the LimeWire aftermath. <laughs> <laughs> Downloading all the small things dot exe, no virus. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then you get that like weird Bill Clinton <laughs> um audio file that would download I'd, oh my god i missed that um yeah <laughs> no it was it just really uh it has blown my mind and now you know spotify has 100 million dollars to give to joe rogan and not to artists so uh yes quite literally yes yeah, yeah. All, all that power all that ability always sort of gets condensed to we we're i think we're going to look back on this era as god remember when we had 12 streaming services and now there's two because i think they're all about to merge i think it's going to be disney hulu oh is going to combine holy yeah peacock is going with somebody paramount plus you know like it's it's i think we're going to look back and really chuckle because we're about to have three maybe even one (laughs) just going to be one (laughs) if you want to watch tv you got to get roku owns everything yeah yes yeah yeah it's just going to be one roku um, yeah. Cause it's weird. It's weird to think about how quickly those things changed, um, in those less than a decade. So like less than a decade from now, I don't spend a ton of time thinking about where that technology is going, mm-hmm. but I imagine it's consolidated. I mean, it's going to continue to be consolidated, right? Spotify has all the power. They can give a hundred million dollars to people who peddle in transphobia and hate speech mm-hmm. and anti-vax conspiracy. Um, and that's sort of like, unfortunately, the way of the world. Um, yeah, that's that's fascinating. Okay, so yeah, so you guys are trading mixed CDs. Mm. Um, you're finding your people. Uh, when do you start writing music on your own? You know that. So through high school, you know, I I would I. <sighs> So for me, I actually feel like writing music came way, way later than sort of recording and playing music. Um, Ooh, oh, interesting. That's the first step. Yeah. So in high school, I had, uh, you know, a computer with Audacity and later a laptop with GarageBand and would just constantly be, you know, pushing the little microphone built into the computer to record, you know, to record full cover songs, you know, and I would... You know, I'd get the guitar down, I'd get the vocals down, and I'd say, it needs some percussion. I didn't have any drums. I didn't have any means to record drums. So I would, you know, rip up pieces of paper for a snare sound or tap on a tin with, um, you know, coins in it for, you know, like a hi-hat. And just really, you know, loved the process of trying to put these together, trying to, you know, problem solve creatively using the limitation to my advantage. Um, mm-hmm. But when I tried to sit down and actually turn that into songwriting, um, I would just constantly get hit with the blank page syndrome. You know, it was a little mm-hmm. bit too open for me, a little bit, you know, couldn't figure out where to start, couldn't figure out how to sort of like keep going. But I always had these little experiments going on. I had, you know, little cover songs. I would download, you know, remix stems from other artists and, 
you know, just repurpose some of those elements. Um, I was always exploring the sound, but couldn't really figure out how to put it to writing. And that came really, that came with foreverist in college. Um, I, um, my sophomore year of college, I was reading, uh, way too much friend of the pod, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, sure. Which, uh, a fellow podcaster, Malcolm Gladwell. (laughs) A a little bit too much, uh, Malcolm Gladwell for any 19 year old to read probably. And that's about the age where (laughs) he seems like the only smart person. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I was reading outliers, which is, you know, his whole book about, you know, just how everybody has inherent, um, you know, advantages that, or that inherent advantages lead to success later on. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I absolutely panicked. I was like, Oh my God, I want to do music and I don't write songs. Fuck. Uh, so the the Nick Pittman needs to go to Germany, like the Beatles (laughs) and hang out in the strip club. Sure. Exactly. Um, so what I my response to that was to start writing a song a day. Um, Whoa! And you know, I would I I set like a pretty simple guideline for myself of like you know, just one song a day. It can be literally anything. Um, and for those first couple months, you know, I would just you know just to try and like really throw myself in the practice. I would be doing you know full chord progression, full lyrics, full melody, and, you know, started dipping in at some open mics to, you know, field test them more or less. Um, Quickly, you know, and around this time is where I met um, a lot of the other folks who would go on to found Foreverist with me and, you know, started doing some more collaborative songwriting, which was so, so much easier for the way that I was thinking about songs um and it turned into a a spot where really a lot of my songwriting uh kind of naturally turned into something a little bit more instrumental because um you know we had other people who my my friend sarah in forever is one of the best lyricists that i know and we had this you know understanding of how what i could bring you know, as far as the chord progression and the music that would fit what she's writing and how to sort of, you know, build the ship as it's flying like that. Mm, yeah. Build the ship as, yeah. Figure out what you're doing as you're falling yeah. is the old, uh, the old improv uh, expression. Yeah. Okay. That's um. so <laughs> I feel like my art inspiration too, when I start working hard, always comes from a moment of panic. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much relate to turning 25 and having done stand up like 30 times in my life and being like, no, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna die one day. I got to do this right now. <laughs> and then just like starting to like do it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I very much relate to the moment of panic where it's like, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. So, um, okay. The song a day. And did any of those end up being like songs on albums or was it purely an exercise or did you um, stumble into things? You know, a lot of the, the first forever CP was entirely stuff from that song a day exercise. Um, I don't, wow. There are still like some riffs and stuff from that era that I, you know, have in a folder of, you know, ideas that I keep coming back to. A lot of it was just for the exercise though. Uh, but I mm-hmm. still have the record mm-hmm. of it. You know, I, I have found that I am extremely harsh to my own work as soon as it's done. But if I can like, put it away somewhere and come back to it in a few months, I'll be like, Oh, this fucking rules. This is amazing. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. So it's a lot of just trying to sort of, you know, 
set up those little, uh, you know, those little caches for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm very meticulous about my notebooks as well. And are you familiar with the Gary Goldman state capitals joke from Conan? I don't think I've heard it. I will send it to you. You will love it. It's basically a five minute set where he's like, I watched a documentary and I'm going to tell you about it. And that's the whole late night set where it's like a fake documentary that he made up of the people of like the, the boardroom who came up with the two letter abbreviations for every state. Mm. And it's brilliant. And he goes, when he talks about the joke, he says, yeah, I wrote down, Hey, I wonder how they came up with the two letter abbreviations for every state, but it's from a notebook from 20 years prior in a joke that he couldn't crack. And so he just held on to it. And now it's arguably the greatest late night comedy set ever. Holy shit. That's <laughs> yeah. Neat. From an idea. Yeah. So like when you say, yeah, there's still riffs, there's still songs came out of that. When I look back at it later, I'm more optimistic. I totally feel the same yeah, way. You, sometimes you just got to plant the seeds and then let them grow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a real, I mean, I was just panicking about, I need more Instagram followers. And it's just like, it's such a bad, unhealthy way to live your life. Oh my God. Um, Where, yeah, just like write better jokes, like, and keep writing. If I write every day, I have faith that I will have more opportunities. That is in, that is the only way that I've found to stay sane in trying to pursue a creative career these days. I have absolutely been like too obsessed with like who's coming out to my shows like what are our social media numbers like you know you know why is the label not returning our calls um and mm-hmm. i turn into just a complete crazy person i just like yeah i i have i have in like the last like three four years i've really just like tried to like put like a little bit of like put some distance there and you know really just focus on the craft and on the process and what's in front of me. And, you know, I don't, I, I, uh, I don't really know if, uh, if my numbers are more successful than they were years ago, but I feel just way more able to get through each day. So I'll take, yeah, that as- that's an under, yeah, that's an underrated thing because i was just listening to some comics talk and they're like oh my god yeah i was opening for this guy he has a half a million he's a quarter million instagram followers the whole audience was there to see him mm. and he's like and his other friend was like yeah but he's miserable yeah. <laughs> i was like oh yeah like <laughs> so i don't really want to sacrifice uh being miserable every day because i think i need to you know chase more um chase more subscribers in that way and i if that means I can't be what I thought success was five years ago, I think that's okay. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think I will find my own success. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, you know, it, it's, it sounds trite, but like it's kind of the success is what we make of it kind of thing. It's, mm. you know, I, um, the people that I see as successful who I'm the most interested in are the folks who, have been just sort of quietly working at their thing for decades and an audience just formed around it uh, rather than like the marketing yeah. wizards who like, you know, understand how to like, you know, game TikTok and, you know, get. Somebody told me the other day, you got to know how to feed the algorithm. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to hurl. <laughs> this is such a nasty phrase. Oh my God. It's like when I read people being like, well, you know, the, the album is over, you know, artists should just be releasing a single song on Spotify every three months. And I'm like, no, 
Absolutely. They said the album is over. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I guess people feel that way about comedy albums too, where it's like make, put up a clip a week, forget your, like, and what I love to do is like the Berbiglia style solo show. And it's like when I would hear like Lynn manuel talk about the way he constructs, he's like, what I'm into are musicals and they take forever mm-hmm. to make a musical. It takes a decade yeah. sometimes to make a real musical. I'm like, Oh, that's how I feel about the solo shows that I'm interested in. Even a 15, I've been working on a 15 minute story right now. Mm-hmm. And I've been telling a five minute, seven minute, 10 minute, 12 minute, 15 minute version of it for years. Yeah. And I am just coming to terms with cracking what it wants to be. <laughs> um, but I know I have faith that by the time I really crack it, it'll be worth it. And speaking of Malcolm Gladwell, do you know that thing where he talks about like, um, it was on revisionist history where they're talking about some artists, some are Bob, some people are Bob Dylan where they release songs all the time mm-hmm. and they're just super prolific. And then I can't remember the counter to, it might be Jeff Buckley where it's like some people take a really long, is it Jeff Buckley? Mm-hmm. Some people are, are people who it takes a really, really long time to con, to make one song by the time it's finished and it's all its iterations. It's like perfect. Yeah. And both are great. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I mean like that's, that's the other beauty of like, you know, creative careers is that like, there's no one right way to do any of this. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a matter of finding the process that is like true to you that works for you and just understanding how you can, you know, use that process to get whatever your whatever your end goal is um you know i I think creative people giving each other advice is you know always so useful to just like get an understanding of other people's processes but you know when that turns into like a preachy kind of like you need to do this i'm like i always kind of start pushing back right away yeah 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 you need to yeah some people are morning pages people some people just like or not whatever it is coffee whatever your routine is i i agree with you i think it's you know we're eventually trying to figure out how to be ourselves yeah um it's funny i picked up over the summer last summer i picked up jeff tweedy's book how to write one song oh i have that on my shelf i still have to i haven't read it yet but i've been excited to it's um I enjoyed it. It's a bunch of exercises and and thoughts about music and the stuff I identified with was things taking a little while and then like happening all at once, mm-hmm. um, which is a thing that like I'll tell a joke for a year or two and then one night right before I go on stage I'll think of like the perfect line to add to it and I'm like that's crazy <laughs> that it took me years and then a moment <laughs> or I'll riff it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also found found it to be a little bit of a, um, I guess, allegorical to joke writing, um, the song construction. Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, you know, it's it's the the classic, uh, you know, comedians want to be rock stars, rock stars want to tell jokes. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, you know, there is, I, there is a lot of overlap with you know what we do what comedians and musicians do as sort of like medium form long uh live entertainers i think you know this yes yes with the album being yeah formerly exactly the uh the big thing mm-hmm. um josh johnson is a comic i don't know if you've ever seen him he just came up with a music slash comedy album i'll have to send that to you also yeah, absolutely um i haven't listened to it but apparently there's there's like hip-hop 
tracks and then like audio sketches and then just stand up. Okay. Um, and he's a really interesting dude. He did my show at QED and then like 10 days later got asked to open for Trevor Noah on the world tour. And then so two weeks after that, he played my room for 15 people and then he played the Staples Center in Los Angeles. (laughs) 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 So I was like, oh, wow. Um, it happens that just that quickly sometimes. Yeah. Um, wow. Which I love. Um, okay. We got a little sidetracked, but I enjoyed that creative people talk. Yeah. Um, I mean, sidetracked as to what, <laughs> uh, I guess the chronology of your life. Okay. So then, okay. So let's merge these two things, yeah. these school and New York city we were talking yeah. about. So you end up going to to NYU and you're studying music tech, right? That was your yes, music technology. Um, again, you know, kind of it, it much like with a lot of other things in New York city, the second that I stepped on foot on the NYU campus and saw what the music tech program was doing, I was like, Oh no, I got to do that. I, that, that's what I want to do. Um, Hell yeah. you know, I, you walk into the open house and see, you know, someone using a Wii remote to control a synthesizer and you're like, uh, I'll, I'll take two. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all your, yeah. That was the prime Wii era. Oh yeah. Um, um so yeah, oh, that's I ended up in the music tech program. Like I said, I had always really liked home recording, um, through Bach to rock. I had gotten a little bit of a taste of studio audio engineering, but also mm-hmm. just kind of knew that I was not, I, I did not have the competitive drive to do like any kind of instrument performance. And all my love to every music educator out there. So many of them have changed my life. I have never felt like I'm patient enough as a person to teach. So sure. Sure. Audio engineering felt like a really nice fit. And what I didn't really know going there is just how much, uh, how much NYU music tech was going to be physics. It's really, it is a physics program where you're taking music theory courses for the first couple of years. Whoa. I don't think I've ever heard you talk about that. It's tell me more, you know, well, when you think about it, you know, all sound is air particles moving in a wave longitudinal waves. It's all, it's, it's all wiggly air. Um, so, you know, really the, before you even step foot into a studio in that program, uh, you know, you, you start taking your music theory courses right away, but it is designed so that the very first thing that you're doing is the fundamentals of music technology, which is just this crash course in how sound moves, how sound propagates through, you know, through an environment is absorbed by, you know, acoustic panels, how it, how microphones work, how speakers work. Um, And it really, you know, it, it is kind of grueling. You know, we, our program usually started with about 40 people the first year and by the time that year finished, you know, you're probably down to about two thirds that size. Um, wow. Cause you're going right from the fundamentals into hardcore electronics. And if you're, if, if you had any reservations about waveforms, uh, once you're starting to integrate them into circuits, uh, it's a real sink or swim moment. Um, so it's that, um, granular in terms of sound. Oh yeah. We, uh, and this is something that I kind of ended up really loving about the program at NYU was that it was, we really were a music technology program that covered any kind of interaction of sound and technology, 
not just, you know, a, a lot of, there's a lot of programs that will primarily focus on studio engineering, which is the stuff that I like doing the most these days, you know, making records, mixing records, but you know, we got to do uh, audio for video. We got to program uh, plugins. We got to, you know, study the history of synthesizers, um, you know, do this advanced electronics. Um, you know, we would build preamps, build synthesizers. It was a really, it was a really comprehensive program that went a lot of different spaces. And I, I wanted to do all of it. Um, mm. I never really, uh, I mean, I ended up specializing through time, but while I was there, I, the idea of like trying to narrow down to just one of these fields felt completely, you know, unthinkable. Sure. Yeah. The younger you are, the more the whole world is open yeah, to you. Exactly. Um, um, and I guess that's one of the fun parts about living a life in the arts where it's like you maintain that, um, that hope mm -hmm. that the world that, Hey, who knows what could happen if I keep <laughs> doing the thing that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's exciting. And you ended up staying there and doing the master's program too, right? Yes, there was a, this was a fairly experimental program when I was uh, in there, but they had, they were piloting this five-year bachelor's master's program. And I realized my sophomore year that I already had hit a lot of the prerequisites. Uh, so I figured, you know, let me go drop an application and see what happens. You know, if nothing else, you know, it'll give me another year to sort of figure out, uh, you know, what to do. And I got accepted, uh, was on track to do, to finish my bachelor's, uh, you know, it shortly before the end of my fourth year and then go right into the master's program, um, which was interesting. Um, okay. I, you know, hmm. I'm trying to think of the way to say this. Yeah, I, um... I do. I did really like grad school, but going right in from the bachelor's program, uh, kind of really it, the whole thing went by like a blur. It, I never felt any different from my undergrad except for writing the thesis at, at the end of it. And that sure. I knew even fewer of my classmates. Um, oh, interesting. But you know, it was, it was a great opportunity to learn with some amazing professors uh, in the grad program. Uh, got to take some uh, composition courses with uh, this guy, Morton Sabotnik, who is a uh, really renowned uh, computer music composer. He wrote this uh, piece called Silver Apples of the Moon, which was a uh, one of the one of the first recorded synthesis performances. Whoa. Um, so, you know, it was it was still a fantastic program. I got to like I got to take advantage of some great studio, uh, you know, resources available to us. Um, but I would not recommend going straight into grad school from undergrad to most sane people. Yeah, sure. Sure. Particularly, I guess, at the same school, same city, same school, same program, same city. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, it's a unique experience. Yeah, mm -hmm. that would make sense to me. That would make sense. But yeah, I think. Um, I guess it's nice to have the degree. Yeah. Um, when people hey say, Hey, does this guy know what he's talking about? You're like, Yeah, I, I do <laughs> when it comes to a lot of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I um, you know, I think it, you know, I, I like being a bit of a generalist in audio and having, you know, 
a lot of different skills that I can offer. So I feel like the master's at least helps give a little bit of credibility to that, that I know what I'm talking about when I'm say, yeah, I can mix your record and I can also help you with your, you know, head scratch and synthesis problem. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, um, yes. I, I think I, I too identify as a generalist. Um, and it's cool that God, all the school will prepare you to do all those, to solve all those different problems. I'm sort of, I've, I've been thinking about you actually, as I learn more, uh, audio and video editing mm-hmm. as I have the Adobe suite where I'm, where I'm really just, you know, you solve problems on the fly. Yeah. It's a lot of going to YouTube and typing in, how do I splice so-and-so? <laughs> how do I get this cross dissolve? Whatever it is. Mm. Um, it's usually about like frame rate oh, and size yeah. and text. Um, but they, in some ways there are skills that you just have to do by doing and by running into running into a wall. Yeah, it, it's and it, it is interesting. You know, one of the things, one of the weird things that the music tech program did that I could not wrap my head around for a while was it was a policy line that they would not teach you any specific software for recording or anything else that the computers mm. all had. You know, they had all the different programs available on them, you know they could point you in the direction of like a person who might be able to like give you some personalized tutoring. But really their idea was we're going to teach you the theory behind all of these programs and where you can start to look if you need to, you know, where, how to learn, how to pick them up quickly and then troubleshoot from there. Um, yeah. It's like learning a coding. Yeah. Like there's so many different coding languages will give you the theory yeah, behind instead it. Of teach, you know, I mean, in a ComSci program, they might teach like one or two languages, but really the act of reading code and, you know, debugging is going to just make you better at reading all of these programming languages, even the ones that you're not, you know, fluent in. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, that makes a lot of sense as opposed to leaving. Cause I'm sure there is some program on earth where kids leave and they're like, I know Adobe and that is it. And if you give me Final Cut, whatever it is. Absolutely, yeah. Kind of screwed. Um, oh, that's that's an interesting, it's cool that it's written into the policy of the program. Yeah. That, that it's, I'm sure it was frustrating at moments when you're like, I just need to learn the shortcut. And I was just like, please, I don't know how Pro Tools works. Can someone please teach me Pro Tools? Yeah. A little frustrating, yeah. but, you know, here I am and, you know, I'd spend all day wondering why Pro Tools is crashing on me now. So, <laughs> uh huh, uh-huh. yeah. What um, what uh, what programs do you find yourself using most often now? Because I know you're in the podcast game. You make music. Mm-hmm. Where where do you where do your music oh, technology it, software loyalties lie? So, um, you know, I I still do use Pro Tools for. Uh, I'm using it for something almost every day when I'm hmm. when I'm working when I'm editing a podcast when I'm doing just recording and mixing for somebody else. Um, you know, Pro Tools is going to be the most stable desktop software that also... <sighs> Pro Tools is really, it's it's bare bones. I, I usually will describe it as like, it is, what if a tape machine was a computer program? It is not really, it, it's got, tri- you know, tips and tricks, but it's really, it's designed to record your audio put it up, put it up on a screen so you can, you know, edit, move it around as you need to, 
and mix mm-hmm. it. And it's not really included. It's not interested in giving you a bunch of like cool tools or cool sounds to go use. Like they really kind of expect you to go out and find that yourself. Um, mm-hmm. So I really like Pro Tools for, you know, just, you know, everyday engineering, I'd say. But if I am writing or doing something that's a, a little bit more creative, that's when I'm going to fire up something like Logic or Ableton Live, where it's a little bit more, a little bit more flashy and a little bit more flexible for, you know, the less less mathematically heavy sort of engineering. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. I feel like as I get more and more into audio and video, and I think as every comedian is fine, every comedian I know now is a video editor Mm -hmm. and they know how to do captions Mm -hmm. and they use, they usually, (laughs) some, some of them are using these cheap programs. You just Google and say, I need to add captions, please do (laughs) the. And then some people are like, Oh, I am a, uh, Adobe Premiere Wizard. Mm. Um, as I learn more and more about these, um, it's nice to know I have somebody to troubleshoot. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's pivot to um, where do you see now that we're now that you're playing shows again? Mm. Where do you see your creative energies going in the next, let's say, like six to twelve months? Where Where are you? spending your time that's a great question i mean uh right now i've i'm you know i've been on a thankfully a bit of a hot streak with some client work with you know audio mixing um you know i finished up an ep for a project that i was producing in called continental shelf earlier this year that i was really excited on i am working on uh the hard pass full length right now i'm working on a record with this amazing singer songwriter out of Indiana named Joey Walker. Um, Oh, wow. So you're doing all these, doing lots of work. I mean, I try to stay busy. Um, You know, I I always say that like, you know, it, it, you know, it's work, but it doesn't, it often doesn't feel like work because I do so much work with like, most of my clients are really close friends of mine. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really been like, you know, playing shows, going to shows, you know, just staying connected to people like that. That has continued to bring these new rewards and new opportunities into my life. So I just. Yeah, go, that collaboration, man. It's yeah, to rock. It, it is like I'm just, you know, I just trying to stay around creative people and just, you know, stay curious and, you know, stay busy. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love hearing that. Um, do you find time for your own, um, for your own creative projects that you're leading? Like, I know you're not as active with foreverist, but where, where does, where's your songwriting at these days? Where's your uh, um, guitar riffing? I, I still am just putting together, I'll still put together little instrumental clips here and there. Um, I was actually doing a little bit of scoring for an, for a podcast earlier this year, which is cool. really, really exciting. And, you know, the Foreverist hasn't played a show in a while, but we are all still close and we still will, you know, share ideas back and forth. Uh, so, you know, just always leaving the door open for, you know, if... I have an idea that sounds like it would fit in with one of these other projects. I just, you know, send it to the people, to the appropriate people and we, uh, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, um, 
in a similar way, I think I talked about this with Mel Mm -hmm. where, Oh, is this an idea for Mel and Kim? Is this a Mel and the tall boys idea? Yeah. Um, You develop a sense for it after a little while. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I would often in like the earlier days of foreverist, you know, I would have like this, like really kind of, complex like sort of like pseudo electronic idea on my laptop that I was like I really want this to I really think that we could do something with this and I'd send it and it just wasn't the right fit for that project and it Mm. you it takes a while to understand what you know the sound of a band maybe is but you can you can write to that and you can, you know, write within that and your ideas outside of that don't have to, you don't have to shove them away somewhere. You can find another outlet for them to live in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really satisfying artistic discernment. Yeah. Um, and sometimes with me, it's like, I'll think of a, a bit or something and I'll think, oh, that's not really in my voice, but I'm sure someone else could do this or it could be a sketch or it could be something else. Um, but I'm also sort of experimenting with some of those ideas now where I have this one joke where I'm like, this isn't really who I am, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's funny to talk about. And so maybe I'll find a, a Gabe angle to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a fun. I mean, that's those are the problem solving of being a creative person, which I'm sort of in love with, mm. um, and why I, I try to write every day. Um, goodness, Nick, we're closing in on the hour. Oh, wow. Um, I know doesn't it feel like 10 minutes. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, as we, uh, as you may know, and the other thing is I need you to send me some music so I can end the episode with you playing music. So you, you send me whatever you think you want people to hear. Okay. Um, but I would love for you to do some fill in the blank questions do it. curated for you. Here we go. Um, okay. <laughs> I like this question. Your favorite high school band that you still listen to now that you think I was right about that band is blank. Ooh, I mean, you know, all right, I've got it. Fallout Boy. Uh, Whoa, I go great back, answer. When I go back to those early Fallout Boy records, I'm still kind of really impressed by how tight the songwriting is, how those melodies soar, and it's like really impeccably produced. Uh, I know they're still kicking, and I have not been following them quite so closely these days, but those high school records still hold up really, really well. Wow. Yeah. I did not expect you to say that. That's a great answer (laughs) Um, because our tastes change so much and there's so much, I think we're all like, Oh, I can't believe I was that guy who was into blank, Mm. but especially with the way music changes, but fallout boy is a good one. I think, um, I think they're having a little bit of a, uh, of a Renaissance in terms of people being like, Hey, that's some good stuff. They've got some hitters. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Um, the best video game you played recently is blank. Ooh, I just finished this uh, really amazing game called Disco Elysium. Um, yeah, I know about this okay, game. Yeah, yeah. It is this like, you know, it's really it's like a, a very story based RPG. You are a cop with amnesia and you wake up uh, in this town where you're supposed to be solving a murder investigation and you can play it out in so many different ways. I, it has a lot of really interesting things to say about you know, 
the struggle of like left of like, you know, left communism versus like center left liberalism. Um, mm-hmm. Just like some of the some of the best writing I have seen in any video game and also an amazing score. Can't speak highly enough. Yeah. Whoa. OK. The you play that on PC. I actually played that on PS5, um, but it is oh, like cool. it's a pretty it's like a pretty bare bones. It's an indie game. So I think it's available on I know it's available on PC. I'm pretty sure it's available everywhere now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the reason I know about this game is because my cousin Devin hosted the New York Video Game Awards. Oh, yeah. And I wrote on those awards twice Mm -hmm. and Disco Elysium was nominated for all this stuff. And so I had to do a lot of research and dive into like, what are the big games this year Mm -hmm. to try to write jokes about everything? And Disco Elysium one has the Chapo Trap House guys doing voices, (laughs) which is amazing. Um and yeah, here what I think when I was researching it in the right before lockdown, mm-hmm. um, so like winter twenty twenty, yeah, um, it was only a PC game at that point, but it won a bunch of awards. Um, I can't believe you played the whole thing. That's so cool. Yeah, they they had just released a remastered version a couple months ago that I picked up. Um, and oh, that's nice. and. I played it, then Leia played through it all the way. We talked about the ways that like our playthroughs differed. It really like it's everything like all of those interactions are what I want out of like a video game. Like the idea that it can be something different for everybody. So, yeah. Oh, that's really that's a thing that that books can't really do (laughs) uh, that movies can't really do. But that is a a unique because everything's choose your own adventure in a certain certain sense. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's like the post Goosebumps Choose Your Own Adventure recap. <laughs> um, uh, okay, your late night creative work snack of choice is blank. Ooh. Um, snack of choice. I mean, I will usually, you know, I'll go for like a uh, a beer from one of the local breweries. Shout outs to KCBC, the Kings County, County Brewers Collective. And um, oh, cool. And like, I, you know, I still really love kettle corn. Um, kettle corn. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. I, um, I play board games at this, um, this comedy couple, they have a bunch of comedians over and they do like a whole popcorn station Ooh. and, uh, it's a very elaborate setup mm. and they're very proud of their popcorn station and I'm all about it. Kettle corn. There was a- great. Do you have a favorite brand? I mean, I, that I, the like popcorn, Indiana, they're like red bag kettle corn is like you know just so reliable yeah there was a yeah. there was an impressive popcorn spread a caveat the other week yeah <laughs> that's right that's right you came to my show yeah. i appreciate you coming um yes they had a similar popcorn setup <laughs> yeah that's a cool that's a fun thing to get into uh i there's so many things that i'm it's not that i'm ambivalent about but i just don't care as much as some people mm-hmm. but when people i'm really interested when people are really like turned on by something so i'm like oh you're the popcorn <laughs> people like oh, i'm so into that yeah i'll have some popcorn I'll, I'll i'll enjoy your world for a moment um mm-hmm. i think that's a satisfying part of life oh, yeah. even if i am a simpleton and uh am not the popcorn guy um and then i just wanted to give you i've been thinking about this question a lot for a lot of my guests, but just a, uh, 
a, uh, an educator or a teacher at some point in your life, and it could be multiple, you can list off if you want, but uh, a teacher that was impactful for you, either in high school, college, middle school, wherever, uh, if you wanted to shout them out. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's been, there were a lot, I, I got to give a shout out to the great Chris Q Murphy um, from mm-hmm. Rock to Rock, really just amazing guy, amazing songwriter, uh, you know, opened my mind up to so much new music and, uh, you know, working on a song with him right now, more on that. Very cool. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Murph was amazing. Uh, obviously Mr. Rebellini, the goat, the King, the goat. Um, yeah. And there was, uh, I, I had an electronics professor in college, this guy named Saul Walker, who, um, f- was actually f- co-founded one of the, one of the big three, uh, companies in like audio technology and his he was just a absolutely brilliant guy um an incredible mind um i took his like advanced electronics classes and i i don't even know how to begin to describe it but like that man's mind of how sound moves through a circuit is scary wow yeah that's um that's fascinating <laughs> nick that's um that's cool that, that those three are the ones that um, that rose to the top. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I also want to end with a quick joke that only you will get, which is we had a um, the guy that co-founded the Trans-Siberian Orchestra was a Hamilton grad, a phys- physics and music. Oh, actually. wow. And he worked at studios in New York and eventually co-founded the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And he came back to Hamilton to do like a six week songwriting class. And he would, he did like a pod on music business. And so all the music majors, we would meet with him once or twice a week. And he would explain to us like all the music stuff, basically music business stuff. And at one point, he was explaining like ASCAP and BMI and the way rights work. And he's like, how am I going to get you guys? He was just like talking to himself. He's like, I don't know how I'm going to get you guys to remember ASCAP and BMI. And I was like, oh, well, if you don't lower your BMI, you're never going to fit into your ASCAP. (laughs) (laughs) And it was probably at that moment that I realized I should have been writing more jokes and fewer um, songs. But uh, yeah, I think (laughs) that's a joke that truly only you will get. (laughs) That's a good joke. You know, know, save that for when you get booked for, uh, you know, the annual music publishers conference or something yeah yeah oh man i would crush oh, yeah. that joke would 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 slay <laughs> at the uh <laughs> at any rights uh convention um well nick this was really lovely oh. i appreciate you uh coming on thank man. you so much for having me gabe this was such a great time i uh yeah dude this was a long time coming yeah absolutely i really appreciate the chance to uh talk about creativity mm-hmm. and uh how we do the things that we're doing and uh yeah Hell yeah. Is there anything else you want to plug um, before we get out of here? Boy, uh, I don't have any uh, more shows in the works at some point. Um, you know, you can, um, you know, follow me on Instagram at NCKPTMN. And uh, if you want to see when the next show is or talk about recording or, you know, just chill. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Totally. That's that's a great plug. That's perfect. perfect. Um, well, Nick Pittman, uh, you did it. We did it. Uh, I appreciate you, buddy. And I hopefully I will be seeing more of you sooner rather than later. Absolutely. I will see you soon, Gabe. Later. Pleasure, man. See you later. Well, we did it. That was our episode with Nick Pittman. 
I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did uh, in real time. I hope you enjoyed it, you know, in podcast time at regular speed. That's why I recommend listening to this podcast at regular speed. I know a couple of people listen to it at double speed and uh, that's fine if that works for your, uh, your lifestyle, but I'm a regular speed kind of guy. And like we do when we talk to musicians, uh, I'm going to end this pod with uh, a song by Nick Pittman, everybody. And the details will be in the episode description. Enjoy this song by the wonderful Nick Pittman. Have a good day, everybody.